winner, winner, chicken dinner. I don't even know why I was thinking of that. I was thinking about chicken looking. Chicken looking. God, you're scaring me. <laughs> Honestly, I wish people could see your face when you were doing that. It was almost cross eyes. <laughs> Michelle, hello. How are you today? Are you frightened? I'm scared out of my little boots. Well, I am absolutely shitting my pants because we've been talking about something really scary this week and we've been researching it so hard. It's true. It's all I can think of. Yeah, but I just love how you've already said you've shat your pants and we're not even one minute in. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank Ding-a-ling. you. Thanks, Mum. Hey, listen, <sighs> Mum is not my mum, Robin. She's not going to be listening. I don't think she, her internet is on the men. She's able to listen now. She confessed to listening to one. It was a scary one. I'm like, oh yeah, which one was that? Mm, it was about spooky things. Okay, <laughs> Mum. Right, most of them are. Could she be said, anything. I, I didn't really know who you were talking about. I don't really know who all the famous people are that you're talking about. I was like, Mum, you're probably thinking of Ben Mendelsohn, Australia's greatest <laughs> export. Living actor. How could you not know who Bendels is? You two better watch out. We don't like anything around here. <laughs> But speaking of mothers, you were saying, yes. um, talking about Robin. Hi, Robin. Hi, Mum. Um, no, don't bother saying hi to Robin. She's not listening. <laughs> you know, she's hard of hearing, so what's the point? Podcasts you know, are not her genre. Do you know what? Jen listens every week. Hi, Ab- Jen. Absolutely loves it. But I liked I, how I beat you to uh, wish your mother a happy Easter, by the way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> girl points, girl points, best friend girl points. I win. I've got Jen points. You have got you. You're you're ten on the gen gen oh list. <laughs> <laughs> no, she she wanted the scoop. She wanted the scoop on, on this week's topic. Oh, she wants to know what it is in advance. Well, I said to her, Mum. Right, Sorry, Jen. I'll, no, I gave in. I gave in, and I said to her, Okay, Mum, I'll tell you what it's on. Poltergeists, and she went poltergeists. No one uses that word anymore. Really? Who uses the word poltergeist? <laughs> And she said, oh, well, that's a bit, that's a bit, you know, last year, isn't it? We're not down with the kids anymore, are we, we're Jen? Not, we're what not. What is the latest, what do you say instead of poltergeist? Is it a spooky boy, isn't it? <laughs> or <laughs> entities? I don't know. What does she think that they're called? Is it just because poltergeist, the movie was out in the 70s and actually a lot of poltergeisty activity was happening in the 70s? Well, actually, strangers should say that. I have a case for you, which is actually from the 1930s. I'm interested in this. Well, I'm actually just going to tell you that tell when me. I mentioned to Andreas about Poltergeist, yeah, yeah. Um, he Did said, Did you get a roll of the eye? Of course. Yeah. But he also said that's a German word. Yes, meaning noisy spirits. Polter means rumble or to make sound, and Geist yeah. is ghost. Yeah. So basically, noisy ghost. Poltergeist. The Poltergeist, yeah. Yeah. So this, back in the 30s, I think, and this this case is set in Thornton Heath, which is in London. Hang on. Before you start, I have got a little stat. Stat me away. Stat I'm me. stat you up. <laughs> Harris Poll, the, the Harris Poll, a Harris Poll. What? Show, a Harris what? Poll. What the hell's a Harris Poll? It's a poll run by the Harris people. 
Harris's. <laughs> you know, like Gallup poll. Gall- right. Gallupers, you know, they run polls. Harris's mm-hmm. also run polls. Okay. Okay. That showed that for, I thought as a journalist, you would know these things, Michelle. Mm-mm. Anyway, I didn't this, know the big ones. <laughs> the this big Harris polls. poll, Harris is big. Harris poll showed that 40% of Americans and 50%, that's half for those who can't do the maths, of Brits believe in poltergeists. Really? Mm, that's a lot of people, right? That is. Yeah. Do you know what? They should, have, they should have had that question on the recent census. Do you believe, Do you in, believe in poltergeists? <laughs> <laughs> I would have ticked yes. Interesting stat. And do you know what? Back in the 1930s. Let's hear this, yep. There were a lot of people believing in poltergeists. And, you know, I did some reading on this. And because it was just coming out of um, the First World War, where a lot of people had suffered a lot of bereavement and all this kind of thing. Yeah, people wanted to talk to the dead. There was also a flu pandemic in 1918. That old chestnut. We've been hearing a bit about that one, haven't we? Is that the Spanish flu? Don't know. Actually, that's the Spanish flu, nineteen eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that they're comparing this particular pandemic to. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it and went I'm, on for some years. It did, and that's why I think ours could run and run. Could run and but run. We'll yeah. see. It was a time when people had that had died. A lot of people had died in the war in this pandemic, and people were really searching for a way to communicate with with loved ones who had died and this bereavement caused a real upsurge in the in supernatural activity so I'm just putting that in the context of this case uh, because this went on for some decades actually that people really were I mean there were a lot of societies that sprung up but anyway this is a historical case and it was recently um, reinvestigated by a journalist called Kate Summerscale she wrote this brilliant article in The Guardian, which this information about this case is based on. And she actually wrote a book about all of this case called The Haunting of Alma Fielding. So on the 20th of February in 1938, um, there was a London newspaper at the time called The Sunday Pictorial. And they ran this bizarre story about a woman in Thornton Heath in Croydon, which for anyone who doesn't know where Croydon is, it's a, a suburb in Greater London. And she claimed that her house was haunted. And this woman was 34-year-old housewife, Alma Fielding. Alma. What a name. That's an ancient name. That is an ancient name. Why haven't they brought that back like Isla and and Esme and all those old lady names? Well, loads of those old Alma, lady names. Doris. Have, I know. But like Mabel, Myrtle, Mavis, they're not coming back. Alma's in the not coming back pile. I Myrtle's think. quite nice. Myrtle no. is nice, but it's not coming back. Not yet. Alma. Alma's in the house. So Alma. Alma apparently called this newspaper um, about the weird things that were going on in her home. And she shared her home with Les. It's another good name. Les. You don't hear that anymore. You do. For a dude? Yeah. Leslie. Who's naming their baby Les? Um, I don't know. Les. No one's calling their kid Les. And her son, Don. Another good name. Don. Don, Don. Don. I mean, again, no one's calling their na- their kids Don. Donald. But I actually quite like Donald. Donald's cute. Alma also had a, a lodger, George. She invited these journalists from the Sunday Pictorial to her house because, and this is a direct quote, there are things going on here I cannot explain. 
So the Sunday pictorial sent two reporters off to Croydon to check out what was happening in Anna's house. That was so weird. And from the second they opened the door, strange shit started happening. So first off, when Alma opened the front door, an egg apparently flew down the corridor for no apparent reason and landed at their feet. Which Like a an egg, like an egg. Egg egg. That cracked and then all the stuff yes. inside came out. Yeah. The, the googie. The googie came out. The googie egg came out. <laughs> so you know, when I read that I thought, okay, that is weird, but Don? Is Don like chucking eggs at the journo? Yeah. Who knows? But Who knows? Yeah. Then Alma took the journos into the kitchen um, to make them a cup of tea. And then a pink porcelain dog that she owned suddenly, for no reason, fell to the floor. Uh Now, I don't know if it smashed or not, but quite frankly, I hope it did because that sounds like the knick-knack from hell. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then... A can opener with a sharp blade. So I think it must be one of those ones that look like a knife, you know, really old school can opener. It's the 30s, remember? Yes, 1930s. It flew through the air past Mm. the heads of the reporters. And then she's just like making the tea like, oh, yeah, it's strange shit happens all the time. She's used to it by now. She is used to it. She took them into her front parlour where they all had their cups of tea. Her saucer and cup started levitating out of her hand. Yeah. The saucer started spinning and then it shattered. And apparently the journalists heard a ping like a gunshot, like the saucer had been shot at. Like a ricochet sound. Yeah. But it just shattered in her hands. But she didn't get cut. Anyway, she picked up another saucer and cup. Obviously she had a few to like pour the tea. And this one exploded in her hand and sliced her thumb. I mean what the actual F? I know. Well done for curbing the language then, I'm Michelle. I'm trying. That's for you, I'll take it. And children, <laughs> it's for you. <laughs> so, but bear in mind, all this is happening in front of the germ- journalists and they're yep. freaking out. So while her thumb is being bandaged, the reporters then heard a crash in the kitchen. And when they went to investigate, they saw that a wine glass that had been in a locked cabinet had somehow come out of this locked cabinet and smashed against her sideboard. And then they saw a massive chunk of coal rise from the grate of her fireplace, fly across across the room, barely missing the head of one of the reporters and smash into the wall. Oh, my God. Now, the reporters say that Les, Don and George were at home when all of this was going on. But as far as they could tell, they were not responsible for this weird stuff. Yeah. And they reported that they thought the things that they'd seen were due to an unseen force. Mm -hmm. And when the article came out, the tagline was, this is the most curious front page story we have ever printed. Right. They put this shit on the front page. Like, it's crazy. And then they wrote... In an ordinary terrace in Croydon, some malevolent ghostly force is working miracles. Poltergeist? That's what the scientists call it. The spiritualists? They say it's all caused by a mischievous earthbound spirit. Okay. Skipping forward now to January 2017... Okay. By the way, Michelle, forgive me for not being aghast at all this stuff, but I have been immersed in this world for 
the whole week. And so this is child's play. I've heard it all before. It's really something. It's really something it that you've got to get your head around. This happened in the 30s. I don't know what you're going to tell me now, but I know what my two stories are from totally different decades. And there are so many comparisons to what you've just told me. It's crazy. It's astounding. Mm. And I don't think that the spiritualists are right. And I don't think that the front pages are right about Polk. I don't think anyone can know what this is. How can we know? How can we know? I don't. Th- I don't think we can. But there's some theories that I'm going to get to. Okay. Um, Great. Because back in 2017, this writer, say uh, Kate Summerscale, went to Cambridge to the Society for Psychical Research. Oh yes. Yeah. They come up in one of my stories. Yeah, and they have an archive. And because she was interested in finding out about. Alma, she also wanted to research this ghost hunter from the 30s called Nandor Foda. And we're just going to call him Foda. Yeah. And he, because he had investigated this Alma Fielding poltergeist. And Kate um, Summerscale found all of Foda's original records of his investigation. And it had transcripts of all the interviews, of all the seances, lab reports, x-rays, notes, sketches, and even photographs of the damage this poltergeist had caused to Alma's house. And also, like, injuries on Alma's body that there were photographs of. What I find really interesting here is that after Fodor had investigated all angles of Alma's case, he concluded that Alma had repressed memories that were manifesting into actual physical events. Mm -hmm. And this is what I've dug a little bit into. This is a theory. Yes, this theory into her case. Okay. Now, if we dive a little bit into Foda's background, he was Jewish-Hungarian, an immigrant who was like fully into the supernatural scene in the 1930s. And he was part of the London Ghost Club, the London Spiritualist Alliance. He knew members of the Fairy Investigation Society. And I'm fucking amazed that these things exist. I love the sound of that. I'd be in all of them. Me too. But I think this is a real sign of the times in the 30s. Um, And he wrote articles for this spiritualist magazine called Light. Kate Summerscale looked at a quote from Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, and who was also big into like this supernatural world. So he called the supernatural a breaking down of the walls between two worlds, a call for hope and of guidance to the human race at the time of its deepest affliction. And this is what I was saying about, you know, the the pandemic, um, First World War, lots of people died. People were searching for a way to communicate with loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when, like, the rise of mediums and seances and all that sort of stuff um, happened. And and he – and actually Fodor, not Conan Doyle, but Fodor reckoned in the future that seances were going to be the same as – the telephone. You just <laughs> want to talk to a dead person? It's like calling a number. Didn't quite happen. But anyway, I love that idea though. But we did have that in the dead pe- in, our, in our talking to the dead episode, didn't well, we, we? Did. There was a phone yes. box where you could yeah, talk the to Japanese, the dead. Yeah, talking on the wind, voices on the wind. Yeah. So the thing with Fodor is that he started reading Freud's theories and he started to become a bit sceptical about spiritualism and, you know, this whole supernatural thing. And he believed that Maybe instead of like this weird phenomena that like what was going on at Alma's place, um, being caused by poltergeists and like sad spirits, that maybe all these objects that were flying around was caused by the unconscious mind. 
being able to manifest these things. And he started Mm. to test his theories on Alma. Now, this sounds crazy, but when Fodor took Alma to the International Institute in Kensington, I don't know if that's come up in your research. No, I've not heard of that one. Mm, Well, he and his colleagues saw a Diamante brooch materialise out of thin air. Oh. And then she manifested out of nowhere. And Hang on. Is this Alma doing this? Alma did They it. took her there. Alma, they took Alma into right. the International Institute. Institute. Yeah. Then Fodor and his colleagues saw her do this. She materialised. So yeah. She materialised this brooch, an ancient oil lamp, a mouse. Ancient. And a scarab beetle. And then what's more, they said that she was able to astrally project herself from Croydon to Kensington and back again. What? What the actual fuck? Don't know how she did that. No idea. Oh, my God. So he decided to use like all the kind of recording gear that was available at the time. So he had cameras. X-ray machines. Remember, they were in the stuff that Kate Summerscale found. So X-rays. He did chemical analysis tests. He used hypnosis, word association. He did the lot. And to try and get a handle on whether she really had like powers or if it was all like her own mind, he laid traps for her. Yeah. And because he wanted to know if this is a if this is a fake, I want to know how she's doing it. And if it's not, he wanted to understand what was going on. You know. His theory for all this was basically if you can open the unconscious mind, a suppressed feeling could manifest itself in physical form. And he made a connection between the energy that people like psychics and mediums have, um, which are different to people who don't channel the dead, with an ability to manifest physical things. You know, he said that when Alma was doing these sorts of things or when shit was flying around, she seemed super detached. He thought that he wondered if there was any kind of mental dissociation. Maybe that, you know, she had like a forgotten memory and that was creating these manifestations. But this is really interesting. Uh, one March, he arranged a day trip to Bokna Regis uh, with Alma and four That's members. A shitty town. Is it? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Bogna. It's, it's beautiful around there. Really nice sandy beaches, actually, Michelle. West Wittering, gorgeous around there. Oh, lovely. Maybe it was nicer in the 30s. It Who could knows? have been, yeah. But he took her for a day trip there with four members of this institute in Kensington. And they wanted to see if she could manifest things outside of like controlled situations like being in the institute. So they went to Woolies. Woolies. Oh, remember Woolies. Which existed. Woolworths. Woolworths. Yeah. And they went to the jewellery counter. This is when Woolworths did everything. And so they went to Bognor Woolies jewellery counter and they spoke to the jewellery assistant and Alma was like, oh, I like this one and I like this one, but not today. I'm not ready to purchase today. They walked out and the girl behind the counter thought what the fuck's going on here and thought she was shoplifting even though the rings were still in the counter she thought this is dodge so she followed them they went outside and they turned into a road near the shop and then Alma was like I'm hearing a rattle in a box that she was carrying and she opened the box and there was the ring That she had been like looking at in the jewellery counter. So she never got it out. 
No, no, no. She she got the ring out of the box. It oh, was she real. Oh. She had manifested <gasps> the same ring that she had seen at the jewelry counter. Yeah. Into this box. And everyone was staggered and they all... It's proper magic. It really is. And they all said they'd the ring was still in the shop. And he oh said... Oh, my God. So it was a, another version of the same yes. ring. So they said the experience was rather alarming. We had committed psychic <laughs> shoplifting. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, Foda was convinced, though, that repressed memories were responsible for the strange things going on at Alma's house. But he also said that he thinks she sometimes faked the phenomena to keep his interest in the case going. But he never doubted that her terror of it all was real. And as far as I can tell, he never did uncover any repressed memories, though, for her. And ultimately, he was discredited amongst the supernatural scene and his work was confiscated, which is why it was still able to be found in the archive. That's amazing. There's so much more to this case. And apparently the book, um, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, is based on Alma's case. And then there was an... um, a movie called The Haunting in 1963 and then a Netflix series in 2018, all stemming back to Alma's story. So I don't know what to make of this story more than they claimed it was poltergeists. Fodor tried to say that it was repressed memories. In the end, there are no answers. Yeah. It's it's amazing because it's so similar to the stories that I have, which are also London-based. You will hear these stories of poltergeists all the world round, all through the history of time so far. Mm. It seems to be something that is always then doubted and then always tends to happen in prepubescent girls or girls going through a change like becoming women or whatever, teenagers. Mm. So that's that then gets lumped in with hysteria or... The crucible, you know, witches, all of yeah. that stuff. Yep. But I'm going to tell you today, Michelle, about a two very famous poltergeist situations that have occurred in London. The first one is quite famous. Now I've seen the miniseries starring Timothy Spall, wonderful actor. Oh, I love him. So good. And it's called The Enfield Poltergeist. Actually, that TV show is called The Enfield Haunting. Anyway, The Enfield Poltergeist, I'm not going to go deep into it because you can find better podcasts out there with more information about this tale but I will tell you about the episode of the reunion that I listened to because it was fascinating I heard it by chance a few years ago while I was driving my car around London and it sat with me so it's about the single parent Peggy Hodgson who moves into 284 Green Street in Enfield North London very suburban and this is in the summer of 1977 70s. Do you remember we've talked about that? Yeah. The Exorcist has been out and poltergeist films are being made and Mm. all of this is going on. Now, she's got four kids and they're all under, I think, uh, 12 or 13. There's a girl, Margaret first, then there's Janet, then there's Johnny and Billy, who I think was about seven. No Les, no no Dons. (laughs) No Donalds. Not this time. 18 months they lived with the poltergeist and the media circus that accompanied it. They experienced such things as furniture moving, being thrown across the room, objects being thrown around the room and children levitating. Very similar to your story. 30, 33.0, though 30, 3 plus 0 equals 30. (laughs) Independent witnesses claim to have witnessed the goings on. And among them were neighbours 
And Hazel Short, the local lollipop lady. Lollipop lady is the woman that holds the sign and flips it. You know, when the kids are crossing the road to go to school, we had one when Killian was growing up. Yep. They'd stop the traffic so they you didn't have a squashed school child. <laughs> the baker also saw things and made statements. Several police officers and journalists all experienced something. At, Very similar to Alma. Yeah. Mm. As was mentioned in your story, uh, some members of the Society for Psychical Research are involved. Okay. After a while, rumours circulated that the family were making it all up in order to get a better council house. But that wasn't the case because mum Peggy stayed there till her death in 2002 or three. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't anything to do with wanting council house. I mean, you don't make this shit up, really. No, exactly. It's too terrifying. Way too terrifying. So anyway, this BBC radio program, radio program called The Reunion, had four people sitting in talking about their experiences who were involved at the time. You've got Ros Morris, who was a BBC radio presenter, and she was sent in to cover the story and was present for many of the events. You've got Graham Morris, no relation to Ros. He was a photographer at the Daily Mail Mm -hmm. and he ended up spending 18 months there at the Hodgson Hodgson house and he got most of the most amazing pictures, which when you look at them of Janet, like looking like she's being thrown around the room or does it look like a girl having a lot of fun jumping off her bed, which is what a lot of people Mm. thought. It's hard to know. They needed video evidence maybe. But even that, I mean, they didn't have green screen back then, I guess, but right. Deep fakes. Richard Gross, he is the, a lawyer and son of Morris Gross. Morris Gross was the character played by Timothy Thall, mm-hmm. and he was your uh, Nandor Foda. Or oh, whatever his he name was, was the, the ghost. There's always hunter. one. Yeah, the, the ghost hunter, yeah. and he was from the. He was a businessman who uh, he was an inventor, but mm-hmm. then he joined the Society for Psychical Research and was an, an active member. And he was absolutely enthralled by this case and became very close to the family in the 18 months that it all played out. So Richard uh, was living at home at the time. Dr. Morris has now sadly passed away, but Richard was a young man when it was all going on and he did get a little bit involved, although he wasn't that interested in the things that his dad was coming home and telling him all about. Right. So it all began when Peggy saw a dressing table in the girls' room moving about without what? them moving it. So independently it was just like, it was just moving. Independently moving in the bedroom. The girls were crying and screaming, going, Mom, Mom. And they, she came upstairs and saw this dressing table moving. <sighs> So yeah. three times she moved it back into situ, into situ and the, th- the third time she couldn't move it at all. <gasps> so they're freaking out. Yep. She's on her own with these four kids. Her husband's mm. gone. She went next door to her neighbours, the Nottinghams, Vic and Peggy, another Peggy. She went to Vic, Vic's house, knocked on the door, told him what was going on. He came over. There was also knocking sounds all through the house. And so Vic's looking through the house trying to find the source of the knocking sounds. Jesus. When they couldn't find the source, he then called the, well, I think it was he or his wife called the police. They came, they sent a WPC called Caroline Heaps. Uh, she came along and she also witnessed a large armchair being uh, levitating and sliding across the room. Crazy shit. Despite this, Michelle, they decided it wasn't a police matter and they left them to it. <laughs> You're on but, your own, lady. <laughs> see ya. That's too Hi. scary. Neighbour Vic, so Vic's wife Peggy, she witnessed a pool of water coming out of nowhere and a toilet brush flew up and came to rest on top of the toilet. Hang on, so who's Vic? So is there another Peggy? Vic Nottingham. I'd already mentioned them, Michelle. You must keep up. There's a lot of names. But you said Vic's (laughs) wife Peggy. So Vic's also married to someone called Peggy. I also said 
Yeah, I said another Peggy. Do oh, you remember? sorry. I said there's another Peggy. And it's Vic and Peggy, Nottingham. It's, it's the days of Peggy's. Too many Vicks. Peggy's. So there was a toilet brush that came flying out of the loo and came to rest on the top. Oven gloves would ignite, matches would spark a light, furniture would turn over, cups would fill with water. They'd hear voices, they'd see levitation, temperature drops. All of these (gasps) things would be going on. So unsettled, Vic's wife Peggy, Vic's wife, wife, Peggy, she called the newspaper, which is what you did back then when you needed help. Yep, exactly what Alma did. Exactly. She called their paper, which was the Daily Mail. Classy rag. One for the people. So she spoke to someone on the desk. It was night time. It was like Mm -hmm. about nine o'clock at night. And this is all happening that night. Uh, The people on the other, the person on the other end didn't believe her and jokingly told her to call back when the pubs were shut. So (laughs) he he was making out like she's drunk. And she thought, oh, okay, I will. So she then dutifully called back after the pubs were shut and told her story again to another person who almost put the phone down on her. Except when she mentioned the police have said there's, they can't do anything about it. Their ears kind of pricked up. Now, Graham Morris was on that night. He was a photographer in his 20s. And because it was a slow news day, they decided to dispatch him and off he went. So that night, Graham arrived. Now, meanwhile, the four children, the, the whole house was terrified. Yeah. The kids were all asleep next door at other Peggy and Vic's place. Mm. And he sat in this gloomy kitchen waiting. And one by one, the children were brought sleeping down in the arms of the, of the adults. Okay. And when the last child was brought in, 11-year-old Janet, that's when all hell broke loose. Oh and Graham described the moment that he walked into the Hodgson's house as life-changing. <gasps> and he said yeah. this on the reunion. Yeah. Wow. Okay. The minute that Janet walked in to the room, well, she didn't walk in, she was carried in sleeping. Mm-hmm. Marbles and toys started flying around the room. And something hit him on the face, <gasps> on, on the head so hard that it left a massive lump for weeks later. Oh, my God. And he thought someone was throwing it. So he went into the corner of the room to see, and he was watching everyone. Yeah, because he's a skeptic. He's a journo. Yeah. Absolutely. Or photographer, yeah. He couldn't find any reason to think that the adults, all the children were doing this. Same with Alma. Yep. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ros Morris was later sent in by BBC Radio. She's also sceptical and she was looking for like really hard for any signs of trickery. But she found mum, mum, Peggy mm. Hodgson, to be very down to earth and normal, but clearly frightened. I mean, the entire yeah. family was terrified. During uh, Ros's visit there, there was a loud crash from upstairs. Something had moved a chair nine feet across the girl's bedroom. And Ros couldn't believe that either girl could have done that. And then jumped back into bed in time for Ros to come upstairs yep. like seconds after the crash to see what it was. Yep. Poltergeist going mad. Ros also said that they never made any money from the from the press. Okay. So the, so they had no motive. They had no financial no. gain. They weren't looking for another council house. It no. was purely they were scared yeah. shitless. They were scared shitless and wanted to help and no one could help them. So anyway, the paper con- contacted the Society for Psychical Research. Aha, uh-huh, in Cambridge, this one, yep. Yeah, and there were two men, Guy Playfair and Morris Gross. I love, I love Playfair, what a great name. Playfair. Playfair, <laughs> I play fair. So Morris Gross was loving it mm-hmm. every night. He'd be there, he'd be recording cassette tapes and he'd play them back to Richard when he got home in the morning over breakfast. Mm-hmm. And he really had no time for it, Richard, who was sitting on the panel at the reunion. But then he realised his father had begun to communicate with the entity through knocks and bangs. One knock for yes, two for no, etc. Wow. So this is like a seance except without a planchette. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Exactly, like a Ouija. There's tape recordings of it and all of 
uh, Morris Gross's findings are in an uh, they've been archived in Cambridge University. Wow. On one tape, you can hear Morris asking, "What do you want?" and then there's wild banging. Yeah. And another one, you can and you can hear this on the on the show. It says, "Are you having a game with me?" And at that point, you can hear all these people yelling and shouting. And Morris explains that he'd had a pillow and a box thrown right at his face <gasps> in response to his question. It's like, no, you boom. <laughs> so anyway, Roz, back to Roz, Roz Morris. She remembers her first visit was in September, and by December, the voices began, which Roz recorded. Mm-hmm. The voices were a gruff barking, like, like that. That's not and even a voice. Coming, That's a... It would come from around the girls, from, and they said it was coming from behind their neck. Oh. So it could have even, I mean, people thought that they were, they were ventriloquist tricks. Okay. But Morris would talk to this voice and he'd say, you know, he'd be asking questions, 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 and eventually he got it to say, Morris, Morris, <laughs> like that. And it sounded like, you know, that TV ad about, when you got a dog and the dog says, shush, shush, shush. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. <laughs> but isn't there one where the dog has the flu? And the dog says, what? Oh, I don't know anyway. <laughs> I don't know that one. Brilliant. But the voices sadly were only heard when the children were in the room. Oh. And in one interview, a very sceptical interviewer asks where the voices comes from. And that's when the, the, the girl said the back of the neck. Mm. And... The things that the entity was recorded saying were things like, I'm invisible. And he also sang, row, row, row your boat in that voice. I can't do it because it hurts. Do that voice. It hurts too much. But I loved it when when, he, when the voice sang, row, row, row your boat. At the end, he says, now nah, fuck off. <gasps> no! <laughs> and at this point, this is when they all thought that they were being ventriloquist, little ventriloquists. Yeah. And, and the kids are just playing yeah. a joke. But I mean, I can tell you, having just done that for a few seconds, that if you try and keep that up, it really hurts your throat yep. and it can do damage. lasting vocal damage. Yeah. yeah. So this little voice would go on for hours. <gasps> okay. He would talk. He'd, Boris would get it talking and it would go on and on. Very chatty. And the girls were asleep? Or... No, no, they're awake, and okay. that's why they're looking at them, and they were there. They weren't moving their lips, though, yeah, Michelle, but yeah. the voices coming out from – or maybe it was moving – I mean, I don't know, but it was coming from them, but it was a voice that they just couldn't yeah. figure out if it was Ooh, there. Crazy. At this point, Richard got involved, Richard Gross, mm-hmm. Morris's son, and he came and cross-examined the entity, and that's when they revealed – it was revealed who the entity was. So the entity identified itself as Bill Wilkins, who was a previous tenant of this house. Okay. And he was 72. He explained that he was 72. He went blind, had an hemorrhage, and then fell asleep and died in a chair. <gasps> now fuck off. <laughs> now fuck off. <laughs> My so God. Morris immediately asked Janet, what's a hemorrhage? And she, she looked at him blankly. She hadn't a clue what he was talking about. Yeah. Language that those children don't yeah. don't know anything about. Information yeah. that those children couldn't know. I mean, exactly. How? It's a council house. They moved in. How would they, how would an 11 year, what interest would an 11 year old have in who lived there beforehand? None whatsoever. They just want to ride their and bike. And the neighbours. Yeah. I doubt they'd be chatting to the neighbours. Exactly. They just want to ride their bike. So accusations of Janet having Tourette's were abounding. And <laughs> Gra- <laughs> Graham Morris said the voice was in the room. That's how he described it. He couldn't elaborate on, on where else it was coming from. He just said it was in, in the, the room. room. So he'd be in there when it was. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So this tape was played on the radio and a listener got in touch after to confirm Bill 
was his father. And he, yes, he did live there. And yes, he did go blind. <gasps> and yes, he did have a fucking hemorrhage. And yes, he did die in the very same chair that the voice indicated oh in the corner of the room. Oh, my God. Tick, 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 the tick. The hairs on my... <gasps> when I was listening to this the first time Jeez. and I was driving my car... That's when the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. But yeah, a couple of times I had to pull over because it was absolutely shocking. Yeah. At one point, they sent in Ray Allen, who in the 70s was a famous ventriloquist. He had a little dummy called Lord Charles. Oh, that's terrifying. <sighs> the, uh, so he came in to see if the girls were using any vocal tricks and he concluded that they were. So oh. he was a skeptic. He said, yeah, 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 they're just They're, just they're throwing it, their you know. voices. There's a bunch of people who were being very cruel mm. and very dismissive of what was going on in Enfield. Yeah. Then there was the levitation. So he just set up the camera and the, and the tape recorders in the girls' room while they slept and they'd go and off just every... Just let it go, yeah. Yeah, it would go off every 10 or 15 seconds. And they'd hear noises, they'd press a button or it would be going off continually. And when the girls would scream, they'd run upstairs and see what was going on and they'd see things like, you know, the aftermath of something weird happening. Mm. But a lot of people say that those pictures just look like she's jumping in the air. Yeah, but, you know, there's... If you're a skeptic, you're going to find a, a reason to not believe. And if you believe, you'll look at it and go, she's levitating. So... yeah. I, I haven't now, seen these pictures. Have you seen them? Yes, I have. What do you and think? I saw them in a in consecutive row of her kind of up, almost like in a ninja pose, like rah, like with the knees okay. up, and then across, and the and the sisters like looking up out of the bed, oh, a little Jesus. bit shocked. Yeah, okay. It's quite nuts. And her, but her face, her face is the thing. I mean, maybe yeah. she looks like she's having fun. I don't think so. She looks terrified all of the time. Oh God. Oh, girl. Um, so Graham was there for four nights a week for 18 months. Fucking hell. He, he was even helping the girls with their homework. Now, in the miniseries, it is shown that Morris and um, Playfair were there a lot and that, and they were forming a bit of a bond with the family. And, yeah. and Peggy felt comforted having the male presence there. And the kids, you know, felt comforted, especially Janet, because she was being ter- – she was actually physically being harmed during yeah, this as right. well. What Graham said was, why would a family not want to go back to normal having all these men in the girls' bedroom? It's just weird. Why would they not want this to be over? Over, yeah, of course. If they, if they were playing it up. And towards the end, it was an absolute circus. They had TV <sighs> personalities traipsing through, uni students. Mm. Everybody just wanted to see it for themselves. And, yeah. and often they would experience things themselves. And often they would probably just not be able to explain it and just say, well, I know what I saw or yeah. it's just something else or, you know, they're all in on it or whatever. The objects being thrown, though, became dangerous. There was a lead pipe, Fuck. an iron grate, both thrown. Sorry, what's a lead pipe doing in the kids' bedrooms? I Weird. don't know. It maybe just came from nowhere. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Like it manifested. But Janet would go into, like toward, this is towards the end, Janet would be going into trances and she'd be plagued by terrible dreams. Mm. They sent her to the Maudsley Hospital in South London where I used to live in Camberwell, mm. which is, um, I think Joe Brand, the comedian, used to work there as well as Aww. a psychiatric nurse. Lovely. So they went, they sent her there to check her for mental stability and she did pass, but she was absolutely terrified. Yeah. Lacking in sleep. Yep. And Morris was very worried about her. People were worried about her. Morris as in Morris Gross. Yeah. And Graham Morris has said, if you didn't see it for yourself, you just didn't believe it. And that's why all these people were coming and going. So on the reunion, were they saying, mm. listen, we know what we saw. We don't care what anyone says. Or with yeah. the benefit of hindsight and many years, were they yeah. saying, I doubt my own memory now. I don't know. No. They know what they saw. Right. But they don't. But, and they don't believe it was the girls. They they say that the girls were playing it up. They were doing... Occasionally they would be mucking about, 
but they always knew when it was them. Yeah. And the evidence to counteract that was just so huge mm. that there is no way that you, you couldn't write it all off to the little girls just having a prank. Now, Janet wasn't on this, was she? No, she wasn't, but she didn't want to be involved. But I have seen her on TV. She was on with Guy Playfair, who's now dead, mm. and a sceptic on on the sofa with Phil and Holly. And ah! unfortunately, Holly couldn't be there because she's that scared of ghosts that she can't even no! be in the room oh my when they're discussing God. it. Yeah. Holly so anyway, the head of the Psychical Research Society, mm. jo- Dr. John Beloff, at the time, he was sceptical and he believed them to be playing pranks. Okay. Then there was a TV interview the interview asked an interviewer asked the girls, "How does it feel to be at the centre of such hauntings?" And Janet replied, "It's not haunting." And her sister goes, "Sharp." <gasps> oh. So that's also being used as evidence that they were mucking about. So in retrospect, Morris Gross yeah. had mixed emotions. He was he admitted that he wanted there to be evidence of something more. Mm. And this is the part of the reunion, Michelle, that really spun me out. Okay. Okay. The year before the case. Yep. Morris had lost his own 22-year-old daughter, also called Janet, Ooh. in a motorbike accident. God, okay. Richard, Richard tells the story. He says the, the driver was killed outright and Janet was taken to hospital. And she was in Cardiff at the time, so she was taken to a Cardiff hospital with extensive brain damage and put on life support. Now, the, the parents travelled across from Jersey. He travelled up from London urgently to be by her side. Yep. When, when Richard arrived, he saw a sorrowful figure swathed in head bandages <gasps> and with two black eyes looking very forlorn in her hospital gown. Yep. Later that day, the life support was turned off and she passed away. Oh, gosh, that's so hard. So Richard got on the train and travelled back to London and that's when he realised, oh, fuck, it's my birthday. Okay. And then he thought, oh, she's she will have sent me a, a birthday card and it's going to be waiting for no. me when I get back. Yeah. And he was right. When he got there mm. on the mat, there was a card and he went upstairs and he got sat in his bed and he opened the card and in it there was a cartoon picture on the front of an individual, per- like a person, mm. swathed in bandages, <gasps> two black eyes, in a hospital gown. What the and fuck? And inside, yeah, this is where I was, I had to pull over. I pulled my car over at this point. Inside the message said, I was going to send you some toilet water for your birthday but the lid fell off my head. That was the slogan inside. So toilet right. water is like a cheap perfume. Yes. And they've made out like toilet water is actually from the to- toilet. Yeah, they were getting it from the toilet. Yeah. 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 Janet herself had drawn an arrow to the word head and written, there won't be much of that left soon anyway. Love, Jan. Oh. She died of massive head injuries. Yeah, but brain, crazy, brain. crazy card. I know. Weird. I know. Precognition, precognitive. So anyway, going back to the girls, Janet and Margaret, they have since moved away from Enfield and have their own families. They were asked to be part of the reunion, but they declined. Mm. And in recent interviews that are out there, Janet claims that she felt used and abused by Poltergeist and the media. Yeah, no shit. I would too. Yeah. She's had her childhood robbed, 18 months of her childhood robbed. Yeah. She had a terrible time, especially from the people who thought she was faking it. So she was... yeah. Bullied at school, yep. and you know all the children were all four of them. Who wants that kind of attention? No one at that age. Kid? She said that it did get to a point where it was really dangerous. And why would she fake this? She said at one point a curtain wrapped so tightly <gasps> around her neck that she couldn't breathe. Fuck. Also, Michelle, the girls did confess to using a Ouija board prior to it all kicking off. Oh my god. If that is not a lesson to just be really fucking careful about where you leave your 
made by Mattel or whatever it is, Hasbro, <laughs> like do not leave your Ouija board unattended because yeah. I seriously think you can invite unwanted spirits into yeah. your home and then you cannot get those fuckers out. The next family to move there were unaware of the history. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so Claire Bennett and her four sons also felt like they were being watched and would hear voices at night. Mm. Once um, one son awoke to find a man standing at the foot of her bed, of his bed, I mean. So that family lasted two months in the Seriously. house at Seriously, that's not fair of the council. They should have said, by the way. But then actually yeah. interesting that they didn't because they went in fresh, no expectations, yeah. No knowledge, yeah. and they still felt so. Janet's not there flipping tables, no. and, and actually, Guy Playfair has said in this in this interview that I saw with Philip Schofield and the skeptic, saying you can't poo-poo this. I stood there and watched tables being flipped, furniture sliding across oh, the do- the God. floor. Janet wasn't near it. Yes, how can it be her? Yep, you can be skeptical about the yeah. ventriloquism and all of that stuff, but actual yeah. physical objects being flipped around and flown across. The room, yeah. like no. So Janet also said the Bill Wilkins voice came out of her, but it felt like it was coming from behind her, not from within her. If you see what I mean. Okay. And at one point, Morris Gross did an experiment where he filled her mouth with water. Yeah. Taped her mouth shut, oh. and still, still words were spoken. <gasps> they still could hear that poor the, little the girl. Voice. Though, yeah. Can you imagine? It? I know. So from Enfield to another part of London, Battersea. Yeah. Just this week on Radio 4 again, I'm so middle-aged listening to Radio 4. I've been listening to Radio 4 forever. It's the best. (laughs) Danny Robbins, who does a great podcast called Haunted Mm -hmm. with uh, a skeptic by the name of Dr. Kieran O'Keefe, who's a professor of parapsychology and a hardcore skeptic, and a lady called Evelyn Hollow, who is a former psychology lecturer and a master's in parapsychology. So Mm -hmm. this story happened in South London as opposed to North London, and it was a little bit earlier, 1956, so post-World War II. Harking back to what you were saying, mm-hmm. it was after the World War, you know. Second World War, which a lot of death, bereavement, people exactly. searching for something more. Mm-hmm. 63 Wycliffe Road in Battersea. A lovely address. A hot spot to live in these days. <laughs> it is. Mm. The Hitchings family. Dad Wally, who was a train driver. His wife, Kitty, who's wheelchair-bound due to severe arthritis. His mother, Nan, or Ethel, Mother Hitchens, she's also known as. Six foot four, pipe-smoking lump of an Irish woman. My God. She she lived in a little flat upstairs. 1.4 feet taller than me. (laughs) (laughs) Massive. And her adopted son in his 20s, John, who worked in the building and surveying trade. Mm -hmm. And then there was the Hitchings' daughter, Shirley, aged 15. Shirley found, one day Shirley found a very ornate decorative key laid out on her pillowcase. Oh. And she showed her dad and they had no idea where it came from, no idea where it was from. Who put it what there. What it would fit, who put it there. It went missing, then it turned up again. And that night the banging started. No. Banging so loud that the neighbours came round at two in the morning or whenever it was thinking they'd been ripping up their floorboards. <gasps> So hang on, hang on. They're like, keep the fucking noise down. So what did they do with this key? She put it on the mantelpiece. Yeah. And then it went missing. And then it turned up again on her pillow. So basically, it's an invitation. A key to the other world. This case goes on for 12 years. What? This banging 
not floorboards being ripped up. Mm-hmm. It was just all through the house. The men were running up and down the stairs looking for the cat. They, the cat was accounted for. The people were accounted for. Nan was accounted for. They went into the attic looking for rats. Anything that could be making this noise, nothing. The boiler, nothing. No, nothing yep. was making this noise. And it was r- so loud. Danny and his wife, Danny Robbins, the podcast guy, yeah. and his wife did a... a a controlled experiment where they played a recording of banging yeah. and they contacted their neighbours yeah. and said, "Let us, give us a ring when you start to hear something. So they've got their air defenders on. They've got up to 80 decibels when, and this is, that's hearing damage yeah. at 80 decibels. Then the first neighbour calls them. Okay. We can hear it. Then the second one is at about 84 or 87, 87. Yep. And their speakers blow. <gasps> and that's when the next neighbour says that we can hear it. So it must have been bloody loud, this banging, Fuck, right? Yeah. So the police were called and, of course, they when they arrived, the knocking had stopped mm-hmm. and there was nothing, you know, they could think they could do about it. But those noises continued then every night for two weeks, along oh. with scratching that seemed to come from within the beds and the furniture. Oh. The case caught the attention of Harold Chibbett, who, like Morris Gross, like Nandor, What's his guts? Yep. <laughs> um, he, was, he was a World War II vet with an interest in the, in the paranormal. Yep. Uh, he's known, known as Chib in this story. Ooh, nice. He came along and was just with the family throughout. Okay. So this entity was so busy, family gave him a name and it was... What? Donald. Donald, no! <gasps> and they coexisted with him. Oh, okay. Shirley, again, Shirley appeared to be the focus and she's now the only surviving witness at age 80 and she feels very reticent to discuss the poltergeist that stole her childhood. Oh, God. So where Janet Hodgson had 18 months, Shirley had 12 years. That is terrible. Poor old Shirley. She just finished school when it began and she was on the break before starting art school. So she was doted on by her parents mm-hmm. and she had lots of friends. So she's really popular. Did you see a picture of her? Yeah, she was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Oh. So anyway, Donald would relentlessly tap, knock, bang, move items. Items like clocks would and commodes would float and hover. And many witnesses would see this. Cookers would come on despite being turned off at the mains. Pots and pans would fly about. Jesus. Hover, then crash into the walls. Items would go missing, then turn up in weird places. Mm. Slippers would walk off no! on their own. Fires would start. <gasps> Bedclothes would be pulled off while you're in the bed. Yep. Shirley would levitate out Jesus. of the bed. And her legs would be bound in the night, wrapped up in, like, she'd often find, like, a big toe with a piece of string around it or her what? legs would be tied up. Yeah. Oh, my she'd God. Wake to, yeah. She'd wake up, find herself covered in paint, makeup, and once she awoke to, after the feeling of having a hand on her throat. So this oh, was, these, this family was really going through it. They Why were wouldn't you sleepless. just get the fuck out of that house? They didn't want to be run out of their own house. I would be like insisting, get me the fuck out of here. But the problem was, Michelle, it it was following them. What do you mean? Well, even people who visited the house would would report knocking and banging, following them home. Shirley had to be let go from a job at Selfridges because scissors would go missing. (gasps) She was strip searched and knocking and banging while she was working as a as a seamstress in Selfridges. Oh, my God. You little bastard, Donald. How did they know it was Donald? The banging from that first night, because mm. after that, it happened every night. So they just weeks. called him Donald. It wasn't like... They just called him Donald. They called him Spooky Willie. They called him all sorts of names, and then they settled on Donald. Right. So it wasn't... It, 
it wasn't like Bill in the last story where it was an actual no, person. No, okay. it wasn't a person. Okay. No. But they believed eventually, I mean, Chib eventually puts a name to him and decides that he knows who he is well, through communication. Okay. So don't forget, I'm going to be summing this up pretty rapidly because it went on for 12 years. Chib and Shirley devised a way to communicate. Well, first of all, John, the brother, the adopted cousin, mm. brother guy, he said, why don't we just do like Morris Gross had done with the Enfield poltergeist one knock for yes two knock two knocks for no method i would be like can you please fuck off (laughs) one for yes (laughs) fuck off (laughs) they did ask that in front of journalists yeah will you please leave us alone no 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 was the answer God. Kieran, Dr. Kieran O'Keefe says, never underestimate the power of fear. It can lead you to misinterpret even the most mundane things. So he is always got an answer for everything that happens. Mm. And I think ultimately he believes that it's surely subconsciously doing this. What, at Selfridges? Like, come on. So he thinks that coupled with extreme sleep deprivation that can cause a heightened state that the mind can play some really believable tricks. But also maybe she was just a little bit psychic without knowing. Yeah. So... Like what they said about Alma, maybe she had, you know, some kind of gift. So anyway, they had journalists parked outside their house night and day. Poor family, couldn't work, couldn't leave the house, couldn't socialise. They had that outside in the daytime. They had Donald inside the rest of the time. Yeah. But 12 years. 12 years though. 12 years. Mm. He did eventually go. But the papers decided Donald was in love with Shirley and headlines like Shirley's ghostly lover were splashed across the page, the front pages. Then remember this girl is 15 years old. Wally lost his job. He stood down because he couldn't sleep. He wasn't getting any sleep and he was a train driver. So that wasn't very safe. So he was stood down. Mm-hmm. One of his co-workers though, Harry Hanks, he claimed to be a spiritualist and he said he could help rid them of the, of this, of the entity that was attached to Shirley. Okay. They went about giving him her an exorcism. exorcism. Right. Hanks was speaking in another voice and, and starting to tap into this thing. The police turned up uh. after being... They were tipped off by the Daily Mail editor, Ronald Maxwell. Thanks, Ron. So shortly after this, Maxwell duped Shirley into... So at that point, they were even talking about it in the House of Commons. What? And it was... Fucking in, hell. Yeah, it was massive, massive, massive talking news. point. Yeah. yeah. So shortly after this, Maxwell duped Shirley into coming into the offices of the Daily Mail by sending a car and saying that the family had arranged it, like John had mm. organised it, and she'd spoken to someone who said it was John, but it wasn't her brother, her her cousin John. It was and the papers. All of this kind of yeah. thing. It was the papers, and they were they were hearing some tapping, but they asked her to take her shoe off and have a. They took pictures of her with her shoe, and they also got a female office worker to strip search her all sorts of things and she's like what what do you want yeah. you know and eventually they took a picture of her with the boot next to her face and the headline was that it was her toe they decided it was the theory of the hammer toe so what shirley herself had an injury to her toe from ballet and they believe that she had well she did have a click in her toe but that's the thing i'm sorry a, like a hammer toe is not going to cause 80 plus decibels of Thank you. Of sound. Like, come on. Exactly. Ridiculous. You're not waking up the neighbours because you've tapped your toe. This story just debunked. It was all over the Mm. headlines and everybody was saying, oh, they're just just making it it up. They're faking it. The family weren't making any money again off the stories. And, of course, they couldn't even go out to work themselves. So God knows how they were getting by. I think John was the only one who kept his job. 
And they almost, the family almost developed a form of Stockholm syndrome, which I guess is why they didn't move out. So Donald was still playing up and then fires started happening all over the house to the point where one of them got completely out of control and Wally ended up in hospital with burns. Fucking hell, these poor family. I know. And the doctors were really perplexed about poor Wally's wound because within it was a gouge mark (gasps) with three lines like a claw you see if they had had today's dna testing they could have uh-huh. given it a swab and seen what was in there so the fire brigade were called in they couldn't find any evidence of the fire being started suspiciously <gasps> the insurance policy paid out wow okay the reason caused by poltergeist no <gasps> but get this michelle even the insurance broker who came to do the assessment yeah when he went home Tapping followed him and he experienced it when he got home as well. Oh, my God. Two people experienced it, yeah, who had been in the home and brought it home with them. So Shirley was invited onto a TV magazine-style show called Highlight, hosted by hard-hitting journalist Cliff Mitchell-Moore. Soon as she arrived, Mm -hmm. the tapping started in the green room, tap, 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 bang, bang, bang. Even on the live television show, which was recorded, Cliff Mitchell-Moore tried to channel Donald live on TV and people saw it. It, they could hear it. They couldn't explain it. Yeah. It was louder than a toe click. Yeah. That man was spooked for the rest of his life. <gasps> but they have no... Re- Back in those days, they used to tape over the... the- oh, yeah. So there's no video evidence of it. Yeah. So after the shaming from the Daily Mail, the Hitchings family decided to ask back the South London advertiser journalist, Joyce Lewis, who'd previously been in the house when the clock was floating around. So she arrived for a sleepover with her policeman boyfriend, keeping a watch outside the door. Yeah. She and Shirley slept in the parents' room in the bed together, but Joyce insisted that she hold Shirley's hands and have her legs tucked within her legs so that she wouldn't move. Oh, God. Okay. And the boyfriend's parked outside. Yeah. So Joyce's article reports she was terrified. She said that there was knocking and and tapping starting just around midnight. She reports at a quarter past, the scratching beneath the bed began and it travelled to under her head where the temperature dropped, the sheets were pulled. No! And she heard breathing beneath her pillow and scraping. Fucking hell. 12.22 a.m., the pair of girls in the bed smell flowers and then burnt rubber. And at that point, she calls her boyfriend in and he can't smell anything. Okay. At 1.20 a.m., Shirley cries out and has pain and a mark on her leg. Okay. And then Joyce feels her ankles being tickled. Now, all the while, Shirley is being still held in place by Joyce. Now. Dr. Kieran comes in at this point of the podcast and says, well, there is a psychosomatic condition brought on by excessive religiosity that was discovered while they were researching stigmata. You know, when when you get the the Jesus nail, the 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 nail wounds, yeah. Wounds in the palm of your hand, yeah. His um, upshot of that was the mind can, when obsessive over something like religiousness, it can manifest wounds. Thanks, Kieran. Well... Thanks for that. You know, going back to Alma, Fodor thought that she was manifesting all sorts of things. So if you could manifest a brooch brooch and a mouse, why not a wound, you know? Yes. By 1.30am, the bed is shaking and bouncing up and down. Mm -hmm. By 2.30, Joyce feels Shirley being dragged out of bed. Oh, God. So her account was published 10 days later and the family, especially Shirley, felt vindicated. Okay. Chib... Chip took up residence. He was sleeping on the kitchen floor most nights oh. and tapping away. He he and Shirley had figured out um, how to communicate with Donald by using alphabet cards, much like a Ouija. Okay. 
and uh, they started to communicate with him. And what did he say? Well, he was repetitively tapping out the song Frere Jacques. Oh. Then the notes started to appear, written notes. Oh. There was one written in, uh, in Chib's notebook saying, Shirley, I come, my Shirley. Ew. I saw the notes, bloody scary. Walls were daubed with lead polish. Fleur-de-lis patterns yes. were everywhere. And Viva la France. No, Viva France. That's right. Not Viva la France, but Viva France was written. And there's all these notes written in frong, like franglais. So basically he's a, he's a creepy French guy Frenchy. who yeah. wants to have sex with Shirley. Yeah. Creep. Yep. Now, Dr. Kieran believes that either someone did this knowingly or unknowingly. And Evelyn Hollow, the counter-skeptic to to Kieran's skepticism, says, how are they getting away with it? Everybody's watching. Somebody would notice. Yeah. So anyway, the notes and communications became threatening and bizarre. So basically, Donald was having the run of the house, telling everyone what to do. Ethel wasn't having it, mind you. Nan was like, fuck off. You're the devil. The devil's work. So she was out of there. She moved in and out constantly. She didn't like it one bit. At one point, Chib became excited when Donald told them about a theatre in Jury Lane early on when they were communicating with him and then spelt out all these actors' names. So he went about trying to research and they were real actors. Yes, they did exist. Donald said he was born in the last set, like the 18th century as well. So that was a okay. little bit confusing. He also said he got lost and drowned when crossing the channel and indicates that he was French. Okay. And eventually he confessed to being Louis the 16th. Ah, uh, bullshit. Louis the 17th. Here we go. Louis Charles, the Dauphin, or hair, or heir, heir <laughs> to the throne Here. and son of Marie Antoinette and Louis uh, bullshit. the 16th. Bullshit. Why, why, why ghosts are always like famous people? I know. Do they have to be famous? Why couldn't he just be a potato farmer? Like, yeah. Fuck off. So... But it's really sad about this guy, Louis Charles. He was only 10 when he died. He was killed during the revolution after being cruelly torn from his mother after his father had his head chopped off. And he was entombed because he became king Mm. at 10 or eight even. And then he was entombed in a room, just left there. And when the doctors came in to examine him, they couldn't believe it was the same child because he was mute and lame Mm. and he succumbed to his, you know, just died shortly after that. But there was a worldwide conspiracy at the time that the child had been swapped. Okay. And that he still lived. Mm. This is where e- even Evelyn Hollow thinks the whole thing is a little bit derailed. Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm like, now it's just getting stupid. I believe all the poltergeist stuff, but this, this yeah. explanation. Then it gets a bit crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe the, maybe the poltergeist is having a laugh. Who yeah, knows? maybe. But actually, Chib, that's a good point. Chib is absolutely obsessed and he's discussing places. He's been given letters. He's getting sent letters yeah. with information from Donald with information about families in France, addresses, the sweets he used to eat when he was a child, and he's checked them all out. He's checked them all out. He and goes they're to all Paris legit. And he, all of them, not all of them, some of okay. them. Some of them are legit. Okay. So Chib's, he's obsessed. But one day his wife goes, oh, Chib, you better see this. She's found an old copy of the Radio Times with the TV listings yeah. dated the day that Chib, uh, that Chib and Donald first discussed the Jury Lane Theatre and all those actors. Yes. Unfortunately, in the listings of that, night yeah. or that day the day before that there was a televised play starring all of those actors oh okay and the scarlet pimpernel was also on tv that night as well oh jesus i don't know what to think yeah. of this what do you think of all this well it's been said that shirley was doing it un- uh, subconsciously and not realizing it right bit like alma because mm. yeah exactly but the alma's like producing copies of things that's just a bit weird yeah 
So he so Chib at this point was concerned he'd been duped, but equally every bit of every bit of doubt that he had was there was another inexplicable bit of information or evidence proving that she wasn't doing yeah. it. Meanwhile, Donald's still running the show, making demands and threats. He's loving the TV. They give him the front room. He watches TV with them of a nighttime. He he taps along to the theme Fuck tunes you know. on the TV. <laughs> yeah. And then when she got herself another job at a bank, yeah. he did not like that. And he trashed the whole house, trashed it, gouged wallpaper, <sighs> bedding was shredded. The place was turned upside down. Oh, it was horrific. Awful. So more doubt then was cast as he he became really into TV shows and the the actors, mm-hmm. movie stars, pop stars, a bit like a teenage girl would. So that's where the doubt would creep in. Yeah. So it's it's really hard to get your head around the fact that it might be Shirley because she just can't, she doesn't have any rem- memory of it, of being able to, of being taken over by this yeah, thing. Yeah, but they say that you don't. Like when you're being taken over, you, you do mm. lose memory. I mean, when we looked at the exorcist case, that little boy oh, yeah. has no memory of it. Yeah, yeah. And says, yeah, it's been, it's like it was erased from my mind. So maybe there is a situation like that going on with Shirley. There's a movie star, Mish, called Jeremy Spencer. Okay. That she thought was quite handsome, but uh, Donald was crazy about Don, uh, about Jeremy Spencer. And he was desperate to get a fan letter to, that he was forcing the family through knocks and alphabets, telling them, send this letter oh, to Jeremy Spencer. Sake. Ridiculous. That's how he was communicating. Ridiculous. But he said, he's heading for an accident. The poor guy's going to have an accident. He's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. This is what Donald was trying to tell them. Yeah. They were just thinking, oh my God. Her cat's called Jeremy for fuck's sake. She's really into Jeremy Spencer. Then Chib, uh, Donald tells them that tells her that she needs to get a poster of Jeremy and put it above her bed, which she does, and he cries real tears. What? Fucking yeah. hell. So this is all like, mm, This really? all sounds crazy. But what happened to Jeremy Spencer, Michelle? He had that accident. He was hurt. He wasn't killed, but he was hurt. Okay. And Donald accurately predicted more... Uh, personalities and TV stars and pop stars, injuries and deaths. Really? Like the day before. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So maybe she is, maybe she was being, you know, channeled. Yeah, she, or she's tapping into something. Like, yeah. Mm. Danny the, Robbins, the podcast guy, got a sample of a note from Donald and a note from Shirley, yeah. sent it to a graphologist, a handwriting expert, yeah. for analysis. Now, the expert was left in no doubt that the handwriting was the same person. But this is where uh, Shirley says, I just don't, I don't know when I get time to send 40,000 letters. Maybe she was in a trance for those moments she maybe. was writing. Mm. I mean, who knows? But don't forget, they all lived in a really small house. This is yeah. Evelyn Hollow's point. They were all living in a small house. You could hear each other fart. Mm. So there, there was a lot of them. Mm. They were watching each other all the time. They'd see it. Donald doesn't need to be around Shirley to exist because he's doing it at Selfridges, you know. So yeah. yeah. So once again, Dr. Kieran comes on board and says cognitive dissonance, which is where you believe what you want to believe and disbelieve what you don't want to believe mm-hmm. and contagion, which is when one person gets it in their head that it's something and it ca- it catches. So he's he's explained that. And even now she does. I mean, she's done. Like I said, she concedes that possibly it was a subconscious act, but she's so reticent to talk about it now. She's still scared that it's going to have. A knock-on effect. And the Donald's going to open gonna, that Pandora's yeah, going to come back. Yeah. So after the 12 years of after 12 years of this, Wally and Kitty eventually moved to nearby Latchmere Road yep. and Shirley married her husband, Derek, and they moved to the South Coast. When they moved, Kitty and Wally still experienced knocking and banging okay. for a little while, mm-hmm. but then it stopped. Chib came to 
the wedding of Shirley and Derek and he gave her a postcard that he picked up on one of his his research missions to Paris and it was of Louis Charles the little boy that we spoke about why would he do that just because it was just a little something you know it's their thing that they did together so it was a piece of history I suppose so then she moved to the south coast and she kept her old life secret as she and and Derek raised her family but one day whilst working on a stall at the WI Mm -hmm. a lady came over and said I'm a medium did you know that oh god it's like Hazel it's like Hazel here comes Hazel she trots over and she said I have a message for you oh god Shirley's like okay whatever she said did you have a little brother that passed? And, she, and Hazel's not Hazel, sorry. Shirley's saying, no, 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 not me, no. She said, well, he's right behind you and he's wearing fancy dress. He's got satin and lace and he's got red hair. Okay. And she's like, no, no, no. She absolutely shut her down. But Donald. she described she described the postcard <gasps> that she had given him. Donald, Jesus. Podcast. Email us a story. Share, like, all of that. Follow our social media. Like, subscribe. Instagram and Facebook. Yep, you know what you're doing. At eavesdropping underscore. You got that right. Eavesdropping. Okay, well, there you go. There are our socials. Please get in touch and. Thank you, Geordie, once again, for all the great info. Thanks for the good chat. Thank you, Michelle, for for being there, Michelle. Thank you for listening. Keep eavesdropping. Ta-ta. Eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.